I didn't know that this would become a message. But what I'm about to bring to you is what God stirred on me when Brother Mike came preaching. Not his testimony, but the previous week. Does everybody remember? Now. Get ready. So I want to turn our attention quickly to the gospel according to John chapter 1, verse 50. And the scripture states, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree. Believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So because I said unto thee, everybody say, he said. He believe thou. Say, I believe. I believe. Because he said, you will see. I want to talk to you what God was talking to me about. From hearing to seeing. Amen. Lord, I ask that you would have your will in this service. Release faith and a spirit of confirmation. Help us receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you that weren't here Tuesday on prayer... I shared a thought on God talking about I am that I am. That word I am was Yaha. And it amazed me to find that that word occurs in Genesis. In Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. That phrase, let there be, is Yaha. So another way to say it is God said, I am light. And there was light. The first thing that God released was a revelation of who He was. That to me is powerful. That's powerful. It amazes me. I love science. I love space. I love, I love the James Webb Telescope. I've loved the Hubble Telescope. I've always been fascinated by this. And yet, I have been fascinated even more now that I've come to faith how much man has to ignore to deny that this was ever created. It's amazing to me. We know that light repels darkness. Yet they want to look into this thing called dark matter. And within dark matter, they want to find a God particle. Because they believe that everything came out of darkness. Darkness produced light, according to the world. That's amazing. But I also understand that because darkness can't comprehend light. When your understanding is darkened, you cannot understand what is trying to be shown to you. It says the heavens declare His glory, but they can't hear. So what do they hear? They hear nothing. So they declare that it's nothing. It came from nothing. It really means nothing. We know better. We know who made us. God released a word of I am light. He released a word that I am that I am to Moses. 
He said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you to a land. Here's my law. And in mankind, in our infinite wisdom, we twisted it. We skewed the law to the point that when the law manifests in flesh, those that were professing the law didn't even recognize Him. I'm a teacher of the Word, but I don't recognize the Word. Because since I can't hear, I'm missing the heartbeat. God is trying to tell them that they're holy. God is trying to tell them that they're righteous. Mm -hmm. I am righteous. And they take that on a path of self-righteousness. We can do that too. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. My pride is something that has to be nailed down every day. Because boy, oh boy, it's easy to start getting an inflated ego. To forget the man that walked into church, somehow I have now become worthy. When I'm not. What I am is standing in Him. Washed by Him, robed by Him, and He alone is worthy. It is His righteousness. It is His grace. It is His works, not mine. But what amazes me is when the Word goes out, the Word is not silent. It's not. When Jesus came... It says, and the fame of him went out into every place in the country. That's his ministry. Went into all of Syria. But you know what happens the moment you hear about him? If you ever want to move from hearing to seeing, it requires you to shift where you're at. If you stay exactly where you are, you will never see what you have just heard. Even before his ministry, there was Matthew in chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. The wise men from the east had to declare that the king of the Jews was being born. There's a star. And I kind of wonder sometimes if the most religious will often miss what is happening because they have their eyes on each other rather than above. Going, oh, you didn't tithe as much as I did. <laughs> Okay. But here's what's scary to me. As he sat there, the wise men went to King Herod. King Herod, it says, went to the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he demanded, hey, where's the Christ going to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. You just heard a testimony. You just saw in Scripture. And yet you never desired to see. The wise men are the only ones leaving. The scribes and the priests, they don't care. Huh. But church... I want you to stop and I want you to think about this year.
I want you to think about what you have heard. What has been preached to you? We have a word of double. Double. What does that mean to you? I know it means double, but what? Double what? Did you double your walk? Did you double your depth? Did you possibly double your stress? How about distraction? Did your flesh double? When God says double, it was really for me to decide what I wanted doubled. You see, God speaks, but too often, I'm not listening. I pray, and He talks. I read, and it speaks to me. But how often can I move into a store and never hear God as I walk amongst the lost? Because I'm not listening. My focus is elsewhere. My attention is getting in, getting out, getting what I got to get. And then go back to my prayer closet and go, Oh Lord, can you allow me to encounter some people? Just being honest. Right? I've done it. But the problem is, is Jesus says that I speak to them in parables because they seeing see not. And hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. Now mind you, he didn't say their eyes don't work. He never said their their ears are incapable of hearing. He said they don't see because their eyes are on the wrong thing. They don't hear because they're listening for the wrong thing. How often do we do that? How often do I do that? Even in Timothy it warns. But you can get itching ears to the point that I go find somebody who's going to tell me what I want to hear. Rather than what is actually being said. It's easy to do that. But church, I would declare God speaks of idolatry. And He said, you have... These things of wood and stone that you've made. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have mouths, but they do not eat. They do not speak. A nose, but it does not smell. And then God later goes in Ezekiel and he says something profound to me. He says, I will take a heart of stone from you. Do you understand that the lack of ability to hear Him could very well be a declaration of what condition your heart is sitting in? But God gives a promise. I will take the stone and I will give it flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh that knows me because the Word became flesh. That's now part of him. I'm going to give you something that's part of me. And I will give you a new spirit. But church, when the word became flesh, it says, and he dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt, of course, we know means tempted. To tabernacle amongst us. But he says... Later, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I suffer you? You know, if he's going to say that to people that he's merely dwelling around, what do you think he's going to say to those that he is dwelling in? Just asking. Because it might be imperative that I ask that question before it's asked to me. I know that this world has become something that is shockingly, shockingly, it's like an alternate reality. I know to the young people, me being born pre-2000s, that makes me sound so much older. It really blows my mind to think, oh my goodness, you weren't even there. But I look at my kids, and my kids have no idea the America I grew up in. What is around us has shifted in a direction I don't think anybody could have really predicted. I know that we constantly go, well, it says, it says, it says, and yet we're constantly shocked at what's happening. But I would declare that this is the, the process of the enemy. Because does it not say that in these end times, these things will happen? Does it not say that when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand? Then may I propose that the enemy is trying to get you to hear and to see what is taking place on the earth so that you miss in this day what is accessible in heaven. I really don't care what's happening here. Not to the point that it should become a distraction for what's happening there. I need to hear what's happening there first. When Jesus found Philip, he found him sitting under a fig tree. The next time I read of a fig tree, the Lord's rebuking one. I sometimes wonder if he's rebuking the same fig tree. How much of how often are we found in places of fruitlessness? And he calls you from it. But what's so amazing to me about this is that because he heard, it's now opened for him to see greater. If you have the ability to hear, you have the ability to see. And where God will first speak to you is normally where you're at. He will start talking. Do you see that? That's not good. Do you see that? We need to work on this. Do you see that? And if I can hear, we have to understand the greatness that is about ready to take place. Because Brother Mike was saying, we need to get ready. And I'm like, get ready for what? To go to the country of your birth. That's what he said. Now you can take that as rapture. And I believe that's ultimate. But I really believe God is about ready to lead the church into promise. 
And what you have, and what I have, is I have a book full of promises. And I have yet to see them. For those of you who don't know, I did not come to Christ what would be the traditional church way. I did not get bored and wander in here. I did not get lonely. I did not decide to try and find meaning. I found myself in a place of death. I found myself living in death. I went to war and I lived in an environment of death until the point that I became accustomed to it. I lived in it so much that it became a part of me. It killed my hope. It killed my sleep. It killed my peace. It killed my relationships. It killed my dreams. It killed my ambition. It killed everything. And when it had nothing left to kill, it would sit there in the middle of the night. Just kill yourself. Because that's all death does. It's all it knows. You heard the testimony of that place. Hopeless. Despair. A place where nothing can live and every ounce of energy is just trying to cling to the basic of life. It broke my heart because I lived there nine years. That was my every day. And the problem is, is I wish that I was special and it was just me. But it's not. There are so many tonight in this city, those that we used to know, those that used to sit here, that sit in that place. But church, we have to know. All our prayers fought to bring a man back. And you know what he brought back with him? He brought back a word. A very simple word. A very profound word. It is not my will. That was not a word to an individual. That was a word about people being in that place. If you don't think so, all you have to do is read Peter. It is not my will that any would perish, but all, all would come to everlasting life. This is the will of the Lord. That place of death, when he told his testimony, I had to come up here and weep and repent. Death had been such a part of me, I had seen its power. Profound power. Not even going to lie. When I invaded at 19, I watched more stuff blow up than I've ever seen. Hollywood doesn't even hold a candle to what we did. I watched engineers make contraptions of death whose whole design is to end and maim. Kill and maim, that's all it does. 
Millions of dollars invested in this. Billions of dollars invested in this. I watched men of courage break down in the face of death. I watched men soil themselves. I watched people flee in terror. And I became convinced that is what true power is. But on Sunday, I watched life do something I've never seen death do. I've watched life give joy. I've watched life bring tears, not of sorrow, but of gladness. I watched life defy death and declare it is greater. I sat there and I had to repent because that word stuck with me. It is not my will. But I have been praying this world, if they want death so much, then give it to them. And there was a simple word, that is not my will. Do you know what that makes me to be praying against his will? Let's just call it the best case scenario, ignorant. But here's what's so amazing is because I heard it, because you heard it, we're now getting positioned to see. For far too long, this year, <laughs> this year, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm going to roll my eyes at anybody who says that this is just a bed of roses. Oh, come to Jesus, it's all rainbows. Well, rainbows only occur after a, a good 40-day flood. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm swimming. But you know, Brother Lamas came up here. Everybody remember what he said at the beginning of this, this year? Anybody remember? Because I do. Boy... Those words are pounding in my brain almost every day this year, without exception. If you have forgotten, allow me to remind you. Brother Lamas came up here and said, the Lord said, if you don't trust me this year, you will never trust me. How many of you have had your faith stretched? <laughs> How many of you have met storms? this year how many of you have felt at times you are certain it is going to capsize how many of you have ever found your place this year thinking do you hear me do you see me do you know where I'm at but church he stretched my faith. He stretched our faith for what's coming. Because in Luke 8, we read about the demoniac from Gadara, and it's preached up and down. But you know what's amazing about this story that most people fail to preach? Is the storm hit and then... They ended up in Gadara. Gadara was part of Decapolis, which is the ten cities. It was a region on the other side of Galilee, and this region was occupied and controlled by Rome. Most of the people there were Gentiles. There were very few Jews. And yet, this place 
This place belonged to the half-tribe of Manasseh. So allow me to share what the Lord told me so that maybe you can get a hold of it too. I was sitting there and I said, do you know why you're going through these storms? Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend. Nope. Luke 8. Okay. This belonged to the half-tribe of Manasseh. What does that mean? He said, you are seeing storms because I have you on the move to see the restoration of lost promise. Do you realize what the church was able to do when a brother ended up lost? Together, in one heart, one mind, one accord, the lost became found. The hopeless was brought into hope. A place that should have ended in another way was defied because the church was gathered together. And I'm telling you that when I, when I thought of this, the Lord began to stir on me. And he said, unity. When you go on a submarine, as the Navy would know, Submarines are dangerous, dangerous vessels because they're allowed to carry nuclear weapons. But for a nuke to be released, the commander and the subordinate, the XO, the executive officer, must be in agreement. And when there is agreement, they both turn a key and they unlock it and they launch it. The Lord said, it is not my will. And the church said, it's not our will either. The spirit and the bride spoke. And you know what happened? The keys of death went into the gate and unlocked it. Do you realize what we have access to? Don't lose this. Don't lose this. Because church, how many have promises your family's coming back? You've heard it. You're about ready to see it. How many of you have promises and it's gotten to the point, and I'm going to preach to myself, I've gotten to the point, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Yeah, I heard that like eight years ago. But let me tell you something, church. We're about ready to move into a place where what you've heard, you're going to see. And I'm not up here trying to be a spiritual cheerleader. I'm not up here trying to fluff you and to get you to clap. Because I really don't care. I'm not up here for your praise. Because I'm also up here warning us. The promise is dangerous. Because he says, I'm bringing you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm bringing you to a place where what I promise flows. If you read Revelation 22.1, what does it say? The living water flows from the throne. Do you understand that's why he says you need an anchor? I have this hope, which is an anchor. Hebrews 6.19. Why do you need an anchor? 
Because what happens if He throws you into what's flowing and you're not tied to Him? It's not flowing to His throne. It's flowing from His throne. You think you are mighty enough to maintain your position in Him under your own strength when He throws you in what's flowing from Him? I'm not preaching to you. This is, this is what God's been dealing with me. He's asking if I think I can outswim what's coming from Him. And I find myself drowning from the storms the enemy can bring. Church, the trials we have been facing is so that we can occupy promise. Do you realize that even though they sat there and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they also went into the promise before the generation passed away. It's not that they didn't go in, but because they had no faith in Him, they couldn't stay. They were driven out in defeat. So you're asking, and I'm asking, God, why are you putting me through this? God, why are you doing this to me? God, why do you keep putting me in these places? And then all of a sudden, it's because when I bring you to promise, I want you to stay. Because this can only be occupied in faith. But the place of flowing is where multiplication comes from. This is where in Deuteronomy it says, you will be exceedingly multiplied in the land of promise. So allow me to share something that I was taught this week. There's this professor named Kay Mori from Tokyo. And he taught at Kyoto University. And he decided he wanted to grow tomato plants as an experiment. Not my particular kind of experiment. Not something to get excited about. But what he wanted to do was he wanted to simulate what would happen if I filtered sunlight and I removed the, the ultraviolet rays and the X-rays from sunlight and make what they refer to as pure light. They take the radiation out of the light. He started to grow a cherry tomato plant. And under the filtered light, it first grew 16 feet tall. And its first harvest produced 900 tomatoes. They had to build scaffolding to deal with this tomato plant. And that tomato plant continued to grow until it was over 40 feet. And it produced over 15,000 tomatoes by itself. A cherry tomato plant producing cherry tomatoes the size of baseballs. Now why is this important? Because when you get out of an earthly light and into pure light, what has been planted is allowed to exceedingly and abundantly grow. The church has conditioned itself to just growing enough fruit to survive. And yet God is telling you, through Brother Mike, get ready. You're about ready to shift where you're at. And what is going to grow is going to grow in such abundance that it can feed what's coming back. 
and not just a little bit, but massive, to where when the backsliders come, it's not me breaking off my little crumb, and oh, I hope you get a hold of this just enough that you have peace too. It is eat till you are full. Why? Because the word says, come, taste, and see. How are you going to open blind eyes if there's nothing to eat? Such abundance of spiritual fruit, the Lord is promising, that they will be able to take it home to their family and say, taste what I just got at that service. How do you think I got my brother? Because God gave us a promise in my daughter. And all of a sudden my family showed up and I prayed over that hospital room because I know my family. They can't be in the same house, let alone this little closet of a hospital room. I didn't know. I, I was just thanking the Lord that maybe at least we're in a hospital. <laughs> Things go sideways. There's a doctor right down the hall. But I prayed, believing that what God said he can do, he can do. And my brother left that room and he said, I have never felt peace like that ever in my life. Now church, that's me growing one fruit at a time. Have you not heard what God said he's about ready to do in this end time? Have you not heard the promises of what he's going to do in your walk? Have you not heard what he's about ready to do in this congregation, in this city, in this district, in this country, in the world? What we are about ready to enter into is sitting there and we're about ready to see. The other thing that amazed me about what was being grown is I don't know if any of you remember biology class, because I really don't. On a leaf, there's called a stomata, if anybody remembers. Couldn't have quizzed me on this. It's the opening on a leaf. It opens during the day. It shuts at night. And it's what allows a plant to breathe. And how it opens is it opens from sound. Why do you think birds chirp at four in the morning? Because the birds, their singing opens the leaves of the plant. And they start to breathe. Now church, what is of the earth is earthly. But God said, I'm planting things in you that aren't from here. So how do you get those things to breathe? Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Lift up your worship and sing. That's how you get it to breathe. Because they had a woman, a girl that fell into a well and her circulation had been cut off. And her leg was completely black. She was like eight years old. Was she two years old? I apologize. She was down there for a while. And when they brought her up, her leg being completely black, they wanted to amputate it. And they said, wait, let us get her in a hypobaric chamber of pure oxygen. And so all of a sudden, they put her in this chamber and everything started to restore except the tip of her pinky toe. She went from having to lose an entire leg to losing the tip of a pinky toe. So let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen to your promises? The moment God shifts us into pure light 
and a heavenly atmosphere. You are seated in heavenly places with the breath of life breathing into these things. And so long as the soil can support it, so long as I allow the living water to keep flowing out of the well, and so long as I keep singing the praises so that the plant can breathe, it is going to produce above and beyond anything we could ever ask or think. But church, there was something that I looked at that God kind of checked me on. And I will be closing, and I don't mean to close on this. <laughs> but he gathered them two by two and he sent them out. All right, we know. And he gave them power. You know what happened after that? There was a boy who was filled with the demon. And the father said, your disciples can cast this out. And you remember what Jesus said? This only goes out by what? Prayer and fasting. And so the logical conclusion is the moment I am empowered, my prayer life is in danger. Because I got so busy doing and so busy operating, the prayer life took a hit. I can get to a place where I am solely reliant on anointing rather than what I'm praying and who I'm praying to. But church... What we're about ready to see, if you've been praying, you've been fasting, if you have been believing that God can do what he said he can do, we are about ready to see. If you are like me, and you have been praying prayers, oh, well, God, you said, where is it? We have a gracious God. The thing is, as he said that this only goes out by prayer and fasting, and later the disciples got a hold of something. In Acts 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. Speaking of Judas. And his bishop, bishop Rick, let another take. But here's the emphasis. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time let the, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. They said, anyone who wants to walk in the authority of us, it is without exception they have to have spent as much time in His presence. If we want what they had, there's no shortcuts. We cannot be apostolic and then pray like heathens. We cannot call ourselves believers we're the old-time church. They said, if you want to walk where we're walking, you have to understand that you have to spend as much time in His presence as we do. And church, we're here. We're here. And you have promises. But I don't know about you. I am sick of hearing about overseas. I love it. I love it. Don't take that wrong. 
but I'm tired of only hearing. I want to see. God stepped into my apartment in a flood of light like I have never seen before or since. And the thing God asked me that crushed my heart and made me weep all night. He said, it was I who walked into your apartment. Has your, has your walk ever walked you back? The light showed up without you asking. Have you ever walked back into it? Because I've been asking, where is it? And the Lord said, You're about ready to go from hearing to seeing. If we could please stand. <clears throat> I realize that when I talk about promises, I realize that at times I am touching on a very sensitive subject. I realize that there have been people that have preached promises a hundred times over and preached that it's right there for us to extend our faith for our hand to just miss what we're trying to grasp. But the church, not the congregation, the church is about ready to be shifted into something so magnificent that everything you went through to get there is going to be worth it. The most tragic thing I think will happen at the rapture is nobody is now crying out for the world. The prayer of please save them is now lost the moment the church leaves. But church, we have been promised seas of people. We have been promised backsliders. We have been promised family members. And I'm asking today For once again, for you to extend your faith to hear, because faith comes by hearing. Hear, because church, we're about ready to see. And if you are here today and you want to see, I would ask you to come to this altar and ask God to prepare you for what he's about ready to release. In the name of Jesus Christ.